You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I am Benjamin Wargle, the Wisconsin football and basketball beat writer for BadgerBlitz.com. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your listening today, whether you be in your car, at work, on your phone, wherever you listen to your podcast. I put together a really special guest for us today, Mr. Matt LaPay, the voice of Wisconsin football and basketball, will be joining us, and he'll be reliving memories from the 2000 Final Four Wisconsin basketball team. This Sunday, Wisconsin is going to honor that team on their 20th anniversary of their Cinderella run to the Final Four when they upset uh, Arizona, LSU, and Purdue on their way to Indianapolis. Uh, This year's Wisconsin basketball team will be wearing retro uniforms that that 2000 team won when they take on Ohio State. So Matt and I will kind of reminisce about that run and kind of a little bit about what made that group special. But before we get to Mr. LePay, we must talk about this current Wisconsin basketball team, a group that is still madly inconsistent, who is struggling to put together back-to-back solid outings. It's been the theme throughout this entire season, even dating back to the non-conference, because on Saturday, Wisconsin, without Kobe King, without Brad Davison, with only seven healthy and available scholarship players, pulled off a huge stunner against Michigan State. I expected Wisconsin to lose by 20 against the Spartans. I even said so on this podcast that Michigan State was going to steamroll Wisconsin. So feel free to expose my old take. I'll happily eat crow on that one. But Wisconsin played spectacular offensively in the first 20 minutes. They were solid defensively down the stretch. They got balanced scoring. They got real aggressive in terms of attacking the post and limiting the Spartans inside, defensively on the perimeter. As close to a perfect game Wisconsin has played, this season. But I was also surprised to a degree with how poorly the Badgers followed up that performance with what they did Wednesday night at Williams Arena and how after tasting success Saturday by playing a specific way, Wisconsin resorted back to a lack of aggression style by selling for jump shots and not attacking the low post. Now just just listen to the differences between these two games. Now Wisconsin has struggled at the start of games throughout the conference season. That's we've been talking about that it feels since we restarted this podcast. But Saturday was different. The Spartans misfired on their first 7 perimeter shots and UW allowed just one offensive rebound on its first 17 defensive possessions. They were tremendous in clogging the lane and forcing Michigan State to shoot outside shots that Michigan State was not hitting. Contested outside shots for the most part. On the other hand, the Badgers didn't sell for jump shots. They worked the ball inside or around the perimeter for a handful of grade A opportunities, and the results speak for themselves. Wisconsin scored the most first half points in, I think, since late December on Saturday. They built a really nice cushion, and that helped them get over the hump. On Wednesday, Minnesota started the game 7 for 9, They shot 65% over 11 minutes in and finished the first half at 54.5% and put up 45 points. That's the most the Badgers had allowed in the first half all season. Keep in mind, these are back-to-back games we're talking about with just three days of rest in between. Wisconsin tried to match 
the Gophers start by going 5 for 8, but then they went 6 for 25 the rest of the half, and they trailed by 13 at the break, in large part because Wisconsin settled for jump shots. It works when the shots go in, but UW was 6 for 13 from the perimeter in the first half and still trailed by a baker's dozen. And then they went 1 for 16 in the second half from three-point range. Now throw in the fact that the Badgers attempted just four free throws in the second half, and it was this game was over early into the opening 20 minutes of the second half. Now, again, the Badgers on Saturday were stout defensively against the Spartans. And they had to be, considering Wisconsin didn't make a field goal in the final seven minutes. That defense, that aggressive, in-your-face defense, was absent Wednesday because the Badgers didn't pester enough players. They came off too passive on dribble handoffs and guarding screens. In a usual stingy defensive team, Wisconsin only had one steal and forced five turnovers the entire game. Marcus Carr came in averaging 6.6 assists per game for the Gophers, but his 10 assists showed how he picked apart UW's defense by controlling pace and tempo. Peyton Willis, career-high 21 points, it looked effortless for him. In the first 20 minutes, Minnesota averaged 1.4 points per possession, roughly a half a point more than what Wisconsin averaged. That is considerable. You can't win games like that, home or on the road, especially on the road against a team that was in desperate need of a victory like Minnesota was. Here's the thing. The Badgers shot a season-worst season 28.4% from the field. Over a 30-game season, 30-plus game season, you're going to have those games where you're not going to be able to generate offense. Shots are not going to fall. Minnesota had shot the ball well the previous two games, found a rhythm, and the scoring became contagious. Okay, I, I can handle that. But what has a lot of people frustrated with this Wisconsin team is the inability for the Badgers to string together any consistency. Let's take where Wisconsin was when they won at Ohio State, who was fifth at the time in early early January. Next game, they blow a lead at home, bad defense, suffer a one-point loss to Illinois. Illinois is now tops in the Big Ten uh, as the the co-leader. The Badgers beat a good Penn State team on the road, and then survived an ugly grinder against Maryland. So you think there's going to be some momentum here. But then they lose at Michigan State by 12. They come back at home, and they beat a bad Nebraska team. Then they get crushed at Purdue, and they blow a 12-point lead at Iowa. And then they play Michigan State again. Now, the Big Ten this season has been exceptionally tough on road teams. You know, Head coach Greg Gard said as much Wednesday that the balance of the league has never been this good in roughly 20 years he's been in the conference. Penn State is the only conference team with a winning conference road record at 4-3 and three, after they shocked uh, a lot of people by winning at Michigan State on Tuesday. The difference between 1st place and 11th place in the Big Ten as we record this, as I record this, is three games. Think about that. Three games separating the top 11 teams in a 14-team conference. Here's where the things get a little bizarre for me. The home and road splits for Wisconsin's offense are absolutely insane. In 11 home games, and I wrote about this in my five takeaways on uh, BadgerBlitz.com for our subscribers, the Badgers are 10-1 and at home this season. They're shooting 46% overall, almost 40% from three-point range, and they're scoring 74.3 points per game. In the 12 games away from Madison, UW is shooting 33.9% overall, 26.6% from the perimeter, and they're scoring just 57.6 points per game. They're scoring over 16 points per game less on the road than home. Now, you naturally will expect the scoring on the road to be a little bit smaller 
struggle a little bit more, especially when the Big Ten is as good as it is and you're playing as many good teams as Wisconsin usually does. However, 16 points? It's no surprise that the Badgers are now 3-9 and nine away from home this season. UW has lost four straight games on the road, three by double figures, and the other where it had a 12-point lead with just over seven minutes to go. If the Badgers want to be taken seriously over this final month of the season, they need to figure out how to play well outside the state of Wisconsin. They're going to Nebraska. Nebraska's a desperate team. They're not in the NCAA tournament yet. They're going to Michigan. Michigan's a desperate team. They need to play their way into the bubble. They're going to Indiana at the end of the year. Indiana is fighting for a tournament berth. You're going to go to the Big Ten tournament, and you need to play well there to convince the committee that without Kobe King, you're still an NCAA tournament team. There are some critical road games coming up for Wisconsin. Now, how does Wisconsin get better? How do they get more consistent? Well, for starters, they have to have better production off the bench. I thought Michael Potter played well on Wednesday, 11 points. He had a career-high 15 rebounds for the double-double. But outside him, the Panthers got nothing from their reserves. After Brevin Pritzel played a career-high 39 minutes on Saturday, it appeared that there was a carryover effect because Pritzel was 0 for 7 from the floor. Trevor Anderson played 17 minutes against the Gophers. He put up a zero. You need more pop from your bench, especially now that your bench became shorter with the absence of King. Wisconsin has to be more physical when it comes to attacking the paint and getting to the line. Wisconsin needs to shoot more free throws. This is a good free throw shooting team, but they're not getting there nearly enough. You need to have that aggression, that passion, that want to, to attack the lane and to get fouled. Wisconsin just can't sell for being a jump shooting team. We've seen it that more often than not, when Wisconsin sells for jumpers, they're up in struggles. Happened in the, in the late second half against Iowa when Wisconsin became too passive. It happened on Wednesday. It happened at Purdue. It happened at Michigan State. You need to find a way to attack and get to the free throw line. I wrote earlier this week as well that Wisconsin had a great opportunity in front of them because of the perceived easier schedule. Now, starting with Minnesota, Wisconsin was going to play four teams below them in the standings. They're going to play Purdue and Rutgers in Madison, where the Badgers have lost only once this season. Finish the year at Disappointment, Michigan. They're going to host Minnesota. They're going to host last place Northwestern. And they're end the year at Indiana. But as we found on Wednesday, an easier schedule doesn't mean a hill of beans if Wisconsin goes away from its strengths and identity. Wisconsin needs to find a consistency this season. Otherwise, this is going to be a short tournament run. This is going to be another season where you're going to look at as opportunities missed. And with all the other stuff going on, Davis's suspension, Kobe King's departure, new recruits coming in, it's going to be a pivotal time for Wisconsin to start to right the ship moving in to 2020 and 2021. Now, can Wisconsin make some noise here down the stretch? Absolutely, we've seen it. Wisconsin can beat Michigan State if they can win some of these road games at Ohio State, at Penn State. They can compete with a lot of teams. Their style is unique to themselves. And I know people hate hearing that about Wisconsin's boring low style, but it works for them, especially when you're not as talented as the other teams that you're going to play. Wisconsin doesn't have a Sam Decker or Frank Kaminsky or Trayvon Jackson or Bronson Caney, guys that are that talented that can create their own shots, push the tempo, and have that flair to it. Wisconsin needs to play this style to be competitive against the likes of the Michigan States of the world. But they need to adhere to that style. Because the minute Wisconsin turns into a jump shooting team, Wisconsin goes away from their identity, and they're going to be a quick out come NCAA tournament time. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On Sunday, Wisconsin will take time to honor the 20th anniversary of the 2000 Badgers team, a group that caught fire at the right time towards the end of the season, earned a number 8 seed in the NCAA tournament, and upset top-seeded Arizona, a top-25 program in LSU, and another top-25 program in Purdue to advance the program to its first Final Four in 59 years. That team will certainly get a rousing rendition and celebration bestowed upon them during the game, and the current UW squad will wear retro uniforms from that era when the Badgers take on Ohio State at noon uh, on a game they'll be televised on CBS. Joining me to relive some memories from that season is a gentleman who's had a, a front row seat to a lot of really great Badger memories over the last handful of years. He's the 2019 Wisconsin Sportcaster of the Year, and he's been the voice of Wisconsin basketball since 1988, Mr. Matt LePay. And, and Matt, thank you for your time. And you know, Reunions are always fun for the fans and us in the media because it allows us to honor teams and moments that were special for various reasons, brings back some fun memories uh, that certainly had an impact on the program. And it feels to me that this 2000 Badgers team really raised the bar for what Wisconsin basketball could be moving forward. Now, Wisconsin made the NCAA tournament you know, about six seasons prior for the first time in 47 years, but it felt like this tournament run really showed that Wisconsin can achieve more than just being a team that makes the tournament. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you to an extent. Then I think the 93-94 team that, that finally broke through, as you said, and got into the into the NCAA, that, that went a long way. I'd even go back to the 88-89 team that, that barely missed the tournament and got into the, at least got into the NIT, which was very significant in that time. And I think that was a, that was a pretty strong signal to the fan base and I think to the university, to the athletic department, that uh, it's a cool thing. If, uh, if you have a good basketball program, people tend to buy a lot of tickets and pay attention. But the 2000 team, that I think told us all, that it's always possible. Um, that was a 500 team in the Big Ten and had to win its last three regular season games to get to 500. But they had played well enough against a very challenging schedule that they put themselves in position to have that chance. And then they got hot. They had the right guys getting hot at the right time. And it uh, it did. Um, it, it, it showed us all, most importantly, the, the people who wear the uniforms, that you've got a chance. And I think that's the worst thing you can say about Wisconsin now in any game is that at least it has a chance. And when that's the worst thing you can say, that's pretty good. And that 2000 team had a lot to do with it. Now, if I recall, there was a lot of uncertainty with this team kind of entering the season to a degree. I mean, the Badgers the year before, they only had scored 32 points in their first round loss to Southwest Missouri State. And then going into 99-2008 to replace their top two scores. Do you remember kind of what the buzz was around this team preseason just because of, of what had happened and, and what Wisconsin needed to replace? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was tough. I mean, they had everything that could have gone wrong did in that tournament game in Charlotte. They, they just they couldn't make shot. It was simple as that. And I think from the outside, um, there's no doubt people wondered, you know, can this team ever really break through with this style of play? Sound familiar? Uh, <laughs> a lot around here, and then the, the answer has been emphatically yes. Um, 
but there's still the the core of the team: Mike Kelly, Andy Kowski, Mark Vershaw, uh, you know, Maurice Linton. Those guys were were coming back, and then you had other pieces like a Roy Boone and a John Bryant. Um, the thing that I appreciated about those guys, and it's you know not unlike how Tony Bennett and his Virginia team handled being a one seed and losing to a 16 rather than running away from it. They, they knew it was there. Um, and you just, you deal with it and you, you move on. That was a, a 2000 team really seemed like a low drama team. They, they had a good, good group of tough minded personalities. Uh, and I think they also were smart enough to remember that, well, the ending was really sour they won a lot of games. They had a really good year. They just maybe ran out of gas at the end of the season. But I think they still had an idea of what it took to win a lot of games and get in position. But they also know they also knew it was it was time to break through and, and win a postseason game. But the fact they never ran from it, uh, a disastrous game offensively, they never ran from that speaks volumes about the makeup of those guys. They, they weren't really a, a flashy team offensively. Few teams of Dicks were. I mean, I, I think in retrospect, they averaged less than 60 points a game, and, and Vershaw was the only player who averaged over double figures that year, and he was, I think, at 11.8 he topped out at. But, you know, with, with Vershaw, Kowski, Bryant, you had a number of guys who had played with Dick for a couple of years, so they knew the system. They had tasted a little bit of success last the year before. They had to help kind of carry them through when the waters were rough. I mean, the first 21 games of the year, they went 11 and 10. There wasn't that string of consistency that maybe some team with a tournament aspiration would hope for. But could you see that despite the tough schedule, the potential was there? I mean, they beat, I think Texas was top 10, Illinois was top 20. When they put it all together, they looked pretty good, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And it was. It's a formula that's worked for you know, really 25 years now from the time Dick Bennett arrived in the mid-90s. They hung their hat on the defensive end. They controlled tempo, uh, good at protecting the basketball. You know, it was always one of those Dick Bennett things, be boss with the ball. In other words, don't turn it over. Uh, be tough-minded on the defensive end. Uh, take good shots. Um, it was kind of funny at, at some events in the summer where Dick and uh, Barry Alvarez would be, Dick would have this this line that he'd use a time or two or maybe more for for all I know. But I heard it a couple of times. Says, "Yeah, people give uh, Coach Alvarez and and myself a lot of advice. Maybe I'll 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 show Barry how to pass, and he can show me how to run and <laughs> try to get more of an up tempo." It was pretty funny. Got a lot of laughs in the room. Uh, but again, that I. I can't say enough about that core group of players. That was uh, that was one of those, those early big recruiting classes that uh, that Coach Bennett and his staff put together. And I think when in the recruiting process they were showing them, you know, here's the Cole Center being built. wasn't wasn't ready yet, right? Uh, is that this is what this is what we are building, and we want you to be a part of this. And it, it was just one of those things where you had a, a group of guys who who, under, who believed the system, and I think understood. I mean, they could speak to this far far better than I ever could. I could just tell you what I what I witnessed being at all those practices. They understood where where Dick Bennett was coming from because he's tough on those guys. I mean, he he kind of go right down the row. Um, 
you know, you know, Kowski, you need to do this better. Vershaw, you need to do that better. Um, occasionally, even Mike Kelly, not a ton, but uh, but you know, just on down the line. But I think they they knew how to take it, and if they if they got angry, it seemed like they channeled it in the right way. So you know, while people outside may have had some doubts, those guys, if they did have doubts, they never showed it. And I think there was you know the, the way 2000 unfolded. I think they. They showed everybody that they believed in what what Dick Bennett was stressing. Dick and his staff was stressing, and uh, it turned into a magical run, seemingly coming out of nowhere. Yeah, you mentioned that this team had to win their final three Big Ten uh, regular season games just to get to five hundred in the league. They did that. They beat and uh, they won at Iowa. They won at Northwestern. And then they beat number fourteen Indiana at home by three. You know, they played pretty well um, in the Big Ten tournament too. You know, they beat number twenty two Purdue, and then they lost to Michigan State, which turned out to be the third time uh, at that point. What did you kind of think going into Selection Sunday with with this team? They obviously had a, a good enough resume by their late season surge. Uh, what did you kind of feel when you saw that they were going to be an eight seed and that they'd have to go through a, a pretty tough gauntlet if they were going to make a deep run in this tournament? Yeah, that's the thing, right? If you're an eight or a nine, it's going to be very difficult. But I, I thought the seeding was fair because um, they were a double-digit loss team. And then... Then to backtrack a little bit, that Iowa game, they were behind. It was on the road, and Dick Bennett uh, got very upset at a call, as he did from time to time in his career. I think he got uh, hit with a technical, could have been thrown out. Uh, it looked like it was very close to being contact with the official. But if it was that, if it was something else, it sparked the team, and, and they ended up putting together a rally to beat Iowa, and then off they went. Um but even after the Indiana win, which was Bob Knight's last game at the Cole Center as Indiana's coach, it was dramatic, you know, fans on the floor, all of that. In the moment after that game, or in the, in the couple hours after that game, Dick Bennett was thinking and saying that he thought they had done enough getting the tournament. Going into the Big Ten tournament, which they played a winless Northwestern team, I revisited that topic with him, and he said, you know, we probably better win this one, too. You didn't want to leave the committee with a with a bad loss. But I, I think they had done enough, as you said, beating Northwestern and beating a, a good Purdue team, who they would face one more time. They did enough, but it was going to be difficult. You just really, what you wanted to, to see, at least from my seat, was just to, to win a game. Get that sour taste of... 43 to 32 from the previous year, get that behind them. And then if you can win one, see what happens. But that the first one was a big one. Yeah, and they beat Fresno State by ten, and that was you know that was big in its own right because that was Wisconsin's first win in the postseason NCAA tournament since they beat Cincinnati, you know, sixteen years prior back in '94. Uh, kind of take me through the Arizona game and and kind of what your prep work was for that, and kind of what you felt that Wisconsin, what their their chances were. You said and you kind of said at the beginning. As long as they have a chance, this Wisconsin team, this program, seems to find ways when their backs are up against the wall. Just kind of take me through that game as you called it when they're, you know, they have balance, they're forcing turnovers, they're doing all the things that Wisconsin needs to do then and now to beat these teams that arguably have more talent than they do. Yeah, they, they frustrated them. And remember, uh, Arizona was without its big man, Lauren Woods, mm-hmm. if my memory is correct. Uh, he was out for the season with an injury, but they still had Luke Walton. They had Gilbert Arenas. 
they had a, a good guard combo. Jelani Gardner, I believe, was one of uh, one of the backcourt players. They were good, but they were younger. And I think Wisconsin, with with more experience with upperclassmen like Mike Kelly and John Bryant, they were able to they were able to frustrate them. And you know, for a team that averaged less than sixty a game, you just figured if somehow they could get to the low to mid sixties in the tournament, if they could find a way to get there, that they'd have the chance to beat just about anybody. And that was what they did. It, you know, they were scoring 66, 66, 61, 64. I mean, they were getting those numbers, and the way they played defense and the way they controlled tempo, it was going to be brutally difficult for for someone to beat them. And that's what that's what they were able to do uh, against Arizona, you know, like Arizona team that ended up with, with some pros, I mean, NBA guys on the roster, but I just think Wisconsin, in the course of that tournament, um, in, in that game against Arizona, and very much the same, if not more so, against LSU, they just frustrated those guys. Yeah, I was looking over the LSU game earlier, and it was, you know, hold a LSU to 48 points, uh, I think 36% shooting, uh, just a typical Dick Bennett team type performance where LSU just really never got into any flow. They they weren't used to playing a team like like what Wisconsin did, and then you get Purdue in in the Elite Eight, and I think that probably turned out the best possible scenario for Wisconsin, a team that they're familiar with, a team they had had success with late in the season. Uh, what did you kind of think as the minutes and the seconds were ticking down here that Wisconsin could you know be going back to a Final Four for the first time in yeah. in ages? Yeah, I think I was probably along the lines of uh, anybody who had followed Wisconsin. The time couldn't go <laughs> couldn't go fast enough. They, uh, you know, John Bryant made some big shots when the game was uh, in either or mode. I remember in that game too, Ben. The foul count was not favorable there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin, was, and I thought, boy, this could be this could be bad. It could be sending Purdue to the foul line too much, and then Purdue could pull away. But that didn't happen. Um, there was, uh, it was surreal. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, uh, they were able to, to do what they had to do. And, the, and you're right about the matchup. Uh, that was a really good Purdue team. They had a, uh, a talented guard named Jerron Cornell, who just maybe to this day has Mike Kelly nightmares. <laughs> uh, they just is, and it's interesting because I think in a lot of ways, Dick Bennett wanted to model his program the way Gene Cady modeled his about toughness and just you know being smart but being tough out on the floor. So you had two teams that, in some ways, were were similar. Um, but that was one of those seasons where Wisconsin just had Purdue's number, which that was a nearly unheard of thought for the longest time. Wisconsin having success against Purdue or Indiana, for that matter. But that year, at that time. Wisconsin really did. It, it just had Purdue's number, and it was magical at the end when Purdue put up a couple shots, didn't drop, and it's a you know it's a four point win. And, and I just try to give myself a moment to look around and, and take it all in because that was something that I'm not sure anybody thought was going to be possible. 
What was it like dealing with, with Dick during this time frame? You mentioned kind of he felt after the Indiana win that it was enough to get in, but he was a guy that didn't, that wanted the focus to be not on him, kind of a little bit like Bo was for so long, that Bo wanted to kind of deflect attention from himself. But this obviously had to do a lot for him, you know, emotionally. This had to do, mean a lot to him with the players having talked about what this would mean to get Dick Bent to the Final Four. As this run went on through Salt Lake City and through Albuquerque and then to Indianapolis. What was it just like kind of watching him get prepared for these things and, and try to, you know, downplay what a significant moment this could be for this program? Well, yeah, he may have tried to do that, but it was, uh, he he heard a lot more, I think, than he led on to most. Um, you know, that, that style of play can't win. You know, who wants to watch that? Uh, the slow plotting. Wisconsin Badgers. I think he took great satisfaction, and rightly so, at what that program that year was was able to accomplish. What they were able to accomplish in his five plus years there. I mean, he he moved it up. He moved it up multiple notches. It was starting to break through. Obviously, uh, late eighties, early nineties. But he helped make them a postseason regular, which those words weren't put together for forever. Seemingly with with. Wisconsin basketball. So he, for me, he was a joy to deal with. He's still a very good friend. We uh, we don't get together often enough, but we'll you know, we get a chance to play golf this past summer. Hopefully, we'll be able to do it again this summer. But he, uh, it meant. I think it will always mean a ton to him uh, that that he took a a program like Wisconsin, um, where you know a state that he loves and he's been such a such a part of. Uh, in the game of basketball, uh, to to get a, to get Wisconsin there as much as he's he's the classic guy where losing bothers him uh, or not playing well, put it that way, not playing to his standard bothers him. I think more than winning pleases him, but I think that season to get there um, that that's something he will never, nor should he ever forget. Um, and, and it's something that we'll always, you'll always cherish. It's just one of those years, Matt, where Wisconsin and Fortune just kept running into a really good Michigan State team over and over again. Otherwise, it's kind of one of those coulda, woulda, shouldas. If Wisconsin had played maybe someone a little bit different, not as familiar with them, who knows how good that season could end up. But Michigan State just, you know, turned out just to be a really dominant team throughout the entire course of that season. Yeah, it's still, for me, for me, and I guess it's easy to say because it's the last Big Ten team to win a national title. Um, that that's the best Big Ten team I've seen because it could play anyway. Now, Michigan State did not want to play a, a lower-tempo game. It didn't like that, but it could. But it could do it because it was good defensively. Uh, they had a great point guard in the team, Cleves. Uh, they had Morris Peterson. I mean, they had uh, Charlie Bell was a, was a really good defender. I mean, they had pros uh, on the roster. And what what I always wonder, and we'll never find out, in the regional final, Michigan State had to rally to beat Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Larry Stacey was the coach. And Iowa State hung on. I think you're right. Uh, the way that, the way that uh, final four, uh, the, the way that unfolded with the, with the Florida in there and the, uh, Carolina, I don't know if those teams would have been able to, to tolerate Wisconsin's play. I think it would have gotten very frustrated, but Michigan State knew what was coming, and Michigan State had 
the players to be able to deal with it. I, I, I don't know if they played 10 times that year. I don't know if Wisconsin would have beaten that Michigan State team, but I don't know who would have because I, I thought that team was that good and could beat you any way you cared to play. And Matt, before I let you go, I, I should ask you about this current team. And now, full disclosure, we're taping this before Wisconsin plays Minnesota on Wednesday night. But, you know, we talk about people when you get counted out and their backs are against the wall. Wisconsin seems to rise to the occasion. That's what we saw uh, over the weekend when they beat when they beat Sparty at the Kohl Center. You know, you lose Kobe King for the season. He's assigned to transfer. Brad Davis is suspended for a game. Michigan State has beaten Wisconsin eight straight times. That was just one of those days where you just go to the arena and you expect one thing and get the totally opposite. And that's kind of what Wisconsin's done over the course of 20-plus years. They just surprise you when you don't think they have a chance. And I think that could be something. That could be a moment where, at the end of the year, we look back on and say that was the, the point, the turning point, that Wisconsin really rallied around each other and started trudging forward up uh, against all odds. What, what was kind of yeah. your viewpoint of what you saw on Saturday uh, with how they performed so admirably without you know, two key guards in that game? Yeah, the thing, there, there are two things about it then. Um, one, I, I've been around it long enough to know that when you lose a couple of players for whatever reason, uh, in the short term, sometimes you rise above and... and and can have a day like Wisconsin had on Saturday against Michigan State. The hard part is now, is the next game, the game after that, can you still be that team that can put together a good season without your leading scorer in Big Ten play on the team anymore? Um, you know, Nate Reavers is the all-around leading scorer, but Kobe was in, in Big Ten play when he departed. He led the team in scoring in conference games. So can you can you absorb that blow over the long haul? What leads me to believe they have every chance to do that, and we've seen this with, with Greg Gard and his staff, really to your point, they've demonstrated multiple times when things look to be at their worst, they reach down and, and give you their very best. Going back to Greg's first year when he took over mid-December for Bo Ryan, they got off to a tough start at Big Ten play. They're one and four, and ironically, it was Michigan State team they beat, and that kickstarted them. They they ended up putting together a, a, a very good year, got to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, there have been other, I go back to two years ago where they had everything that could have gone wrong did seemingly with injuries and had a depleted roster, didn't make the tournament, but they played their best ball in the final month, beat a Purdue team that on paper they had no business beating at the Kohl Center, a signature moment, and they became a tough out the rest of the season. And over the last several months, we all know that with the, with the terrible tragedy with Howard Moore and his family, which, you know, is so much, that's so much beyond anything in a basketball sense, a player leaving or this, that, or the other, but there's an ability there with, with Greg and his staff to you know, pull everybody together and understand what is really important. So that that leads me to believe that they have every chance here. And you still have to you have to play basketball. You got to you got to make plays. You got to have close games and all of that. But I've always thought the mark of a of a really good coach, and more importantly, what the athletic director views as a really good coach is how do you handle things when it looks like you have a season going off the rails. 
And I think Greg Gard has demonstrated multiple times that he knows how to fight back and his players uh, follow in kind. And that's a really important trait to have. Yeah, history is a funny way of, of repeating itself. Looking back at that 2000 team, Wisconsin didn't win its first road game outside the state of Miss, uh, outside the state of Wisconsin until February 5th, when they did at Minnesota, and the Badgers wouldn't lose to another team not named Michigan State the rest of the season. So it's always funny how these things kind of come full circle to a degree. Um, Wisconsin and Ohio State on Sunday, honoring the 2000 Final Four team. Mr. Matt LePay, thank you for sharing your uh, memories with us, and uh, we'll see you at the Kohl Center. Happy to do it. All right, Ben, thanks. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Wisconsin will do to honor that 2000 Final Four team. Interested to see if Dick Bennett will be in attendance at the Kohl Center on, on Sunday. I know him and Greg Gard uh, have developed a really close uh, relationship between the two of them. And and really, Wisconsin, I think, got on the map a little bit that year. Dick's system was highly ridiculed, kind of like what was what Bo Ryan's system and Greg Gard's system has been over that last handful of years. That the system doesn't work at Wisconsin. Well, Dick Bennett proved that it did. And Bo Ryan has proved that the system works. And Greg Gard, I think... You look at Wisconsin this year, yes, some of the results are ugly. Wednesday night was ugly. At Purdue was ugly. The last stretch of the game at Iowa was ugly. But the fact of the matter is, Wisconsin has won six Quadrant 1 games this year. That's most in the Big Ten. For the most part, they've been very competitive in, I would say, 80% of their games. The problem is, just right now, is that consistency, like I talked about at the beginning. If Wisconsin can buy in, if the players can buy in to the system, I think Wisconsin can go on a run here. But again, until we see it, it's kind of hard to believe that it could happen. Maybe something uh, good for this team will start on Sunday uh, with the 2000 team in attendance uh, against Ohio State. Uh, before we wrap up here, uh, National Sign Day was this past Wednesday. Wisconsin signed one scholarship prospect, but it was a big one, Jalen Berger, uh, the four-star rec- uh, running back recruit by Rivals.com. He made his commitment to Wisconsin during his appearance in the 2020 All-American Bowl. Berger ran for 840 yards and 12 touchdowns on just 111 carries last season. He also caught 27 passes for 357 yards and four touchdowns, so a dual threat Running back for Wisconsin, the Badgers love those type of players. And you know, with Jonathan Taylor uh, having gr- uh, gone to the NFL a year early and Bradwick Shaw on the transfer portal, uh, Berger has a chance to compete with Nikia Watson, uh, Garrett Groshek, and Julius Davis for some carries this upcoming season. Uh, the 20th scholarship player to sign scholarship papers in this 2020 class. Uh, he is not one of the Badgers who will enroll early. Seven, men- seven members of the Badgers signing class joined the program as mid-year enrollees last month. Linebackers Nick Herbig, Jordan Turner, and Preston Zachman. Offensive lineman Jack Nelson and Dylan Barrett. Uh, athlete uh, Chimery Dyke and defensive end Cade McDonald all uh, working with Wisconsin now in winter conditioning. And we'll participate in spring ball, which will start next month. Wisconsin also signed a couple walk-ons inside linebacker Ross Genger, All-State honorable mention as a senior last year at Delvin Darien, a two-time All-Southern Lake selection. Uh, offensive lineman Kerry Kodanko from West De Pere, his brother Ricky, uh, played for the Badgers uh, in 2010-2012. Kerry, uh, a first-team All-State selection as a, uh, as a senior this past year. Outside linebacker Raleigh Nowal Kalki from Milwaukee Marquette, first team All State selection by the WFCA 
last season. The John Arison Award winner is the state's top senior linebacker. He turned double turned down double-digit scholarship offers to play for the Badgers. Really good, uh, really good player who filled up the stat sheet. 126 tackles, 29 tackles for loss, three sacks, four forced fumbles, and two picks last season. And Wisconsin with some depth at kicker uh, Jack Van Dyke from Nina, a five-star kicker and punter from Coles. Uh, the Kevin Stempke Award winner is the state's top senior kicker or punter and a first-team All-State selection. Uh, all those players uh, will join Wisconsin this summer. That is our podcast for today. Thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. You can follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation. You can follow BadgerBlitz.com at Badger underscore Blitz. And for the latest on Wisconsin recruiting football or basketball, follow John McNamara at McNamara Rivals. My thanks again to Mr. Matt LePay. You can listen to him uh, statewide and on iHeartRadio for the call this Sunday, Wisconsin and Ohio State, noon on CBS. We will talk to you next week, hopefully some better news to report with Wisconsin basketball and hopefully have another really good guest join us as well. Have a great week, everybody, and a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.